Let's turn in your Bible to uh, Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Matthew chapter 7, if you don't have your own copy of God's Word and you want to follow along in the Bible located in the pew in front of you, you can find that on page 965 in the Bible located in the pew in front of you. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, and uh, I'll go ahead and read this aloud as you follow along on the board. And the words of Christ says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them afoot and turn to attack you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we come before you this morning with this very important text that is so abused in our culture today. And Lord, give us understanding. We haven't come here this morning to have our ears tickled by wisdom of man or the wisdom that the world gives us. But Father, instead, we've come to hear the word from you and to apply it to our lives so that we might glorify you and be edified ourselves. Move me aside, Father so that your spirit may move unhindered in our services this morning. It is in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, I think it says a lot about our culture where we have come as a society that, you know, when I was young, and I know when a lot of you guys were young, more than likely, The same for me is that the most often quoted verse in the culture was was what? John 3.16, right? And of course, most of us can probably say that verse by heart. We don't even have to think about it. Uh, We can just kind of throw it out there, muscle memory. And what I think says a lot about our culture is that that verse is no longer the most quoted verse that we find in our culture today. In fact, there's usually gonna be two. One of them is gonna be something like John chapter eight, verse seven, where Jesus tells the people who bring the adulteress to him, the woman caught in adultery, and he says, let the one who is without sin among you cast the first stone, right? And so that's usually one that comes up, but the one that I think is probably the most quoted verse in our culture today is probably Matthew chapter seven, verse one, that says, judge not lest you be judged. And of course, both of these texts, as our culture uses them, are, taking, are taken terribly out of context. I mean, I mean even, the, even the passage in John eight, which 
by the way, I do believe was a historical event in the life of Christ. And even there, when after he said that, he told the woman, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And we're gonna see in this verse as well that Jesus is talking about something very specific here that we're gonna be looking at, something that unfortunately I do think very often the church of Jesus Christ is guilty of. And something that I do think that we do need to examine our hearts this morning, not in the way that culture is telling us to. We're, we're not talking about condoning sin. We're not talking about uh, saying that something that the Bible says is not okay and saying that it is okay. To that, we have Isaiah chapter five. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. I'd say most people will find that pretty judgmental, don't you? Well, so be it. But on the other hand, there is a unbiblical, ungodly kind of judging that we often do in our lives. And I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. All of us have done this to some degree. Uh, I did just imply a second ago that my wife is a loser, so... There you go, right? <laughs> so um, we've all done that from time to time. But my, my goal this morning, my hope and prayer is that we would be more intentional about cultivating humility in our hearts this morning. Cultivating humility. Uh, by the way, Mark, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but the PowerPoint is actually in PCO. You didn't know that, did you? Okay. I should probably uh, communicate a little better. So, uh, so anyway, PowerPoint will be up in just a second. So anyway, um, but my hope and my prayer this morning is that um, we will be intentional about cultivating humility in our lives. And so let me just kind of fit this in where we're talking about is that Jesus in chapter six has talked all about our internal holiness, our internal righteousness, and, and how, uh, remember we talked about that where we put our treasure, what we fix our eyes on is ultimately going to determine what master we are serving. And we saw that that leads to, when we are serving Christ, that leads to a life of peace, a life that is, that is relatively free of worry, a life that we know that God has got this and that he is in control and therefore we can live in total trust in him. And so a lot of that has to do with our internal righteousness. But now Jesus is gonna switch gears in chapter seven and he's gonna talk a lot about how we respond to others. And so just like whenever, uh, like for example, our church, our, our three kind of pillars of ministry are what? Know the faith, live the faith, share the faith, right? And what we kind of see in the Sermon on the Mount is that in, in chapter five, we see an emphasis on knowing the faith. In chapter six, we see an emphasis on living the faith. And now in chapter seven, we're gonna kind of move in the direction of more sharing the faith and some of the fellowship implications of that. And so that's what we're looking at here. And the first thing that Jesus addresses when we talk about discernment, when we talk about our interpersonal relationships, the first thing he addresses is our humility. And I don't think that's by accident. I don't think that that's, I don't think that's not by design. And so, 
This morning, Jesus is going to tell us that we must cultivate humility. And one of the ways that we must do that is that he warns us to avoid judging others in the fellowship. To avoid judging others in the fellowship. Now, in light of our culture's misuse of this, we need to really examine what we're talking about here. And so Jesus is gonna give us two warnings and one correction. So we see two warnings and one correction in our text. The two warnings are this, that when we judge others in the fellowship, it's going to result in stricter judgment for us. That's the first one. The second one is that when we judge others, it reveals a lack of humility. And so in light of that, instead of judging others, we must rely on biblical wisdom. And we're gonna see that. So beginning in verse one, we start to see number one, that we must avoid judging others in the fellowship. Why? Because doing so will result in stricter judgment for us. Jesus says in verse one, do not judge. And now we've got to stop for a second right there and figure out exactly what Jesus is talking about. Because many use this text or suppose this text to mean that it is never a Christian's place to call out sin. They'll say that any time that we evaluate uh, an idea, or any time that we discern uh, sinful practice versus biblical practice, or, or any time we practice biblical discernment, the culture will use this verse to tell us that we are in the wrong. And yet, beloved, that is so anti-biblical that it's, that it's beyond, I mean, it almost doesn't even need to be proven, but I'm going to anyway. You heard what John was speaking of in our scripture reading this morning, but let me just show you what else John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Look what he says. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do you realize that every single person that preaches on the earth is not necessarily telling you the truth? Do you know that? So don't believe every spirit, but test them to see whether they are from God. Look at Hebrews chapter five, verse 14. The writer of Hebrews says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It is a sign of Christian maturity to be discerning. It's not a sign of hypocrisy. It's a sign of maturity to be discerning. Romans chapter 16, verse 17, look at what Paul says. Paul says that I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught and avoid them. You need to watch out. Satan will bring his people into the church for the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. We need to watch out. And by the way, just so you know, pastors are not exempt from this. Look at 1 Timothy chapter five. Look what Paul says to do. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And look what he goes on to say. As for those who persist in sin, watch this, rebuke them in the presence of all 
so that the rest may stand in fear. If you have a church leader who is persisting in sin, they must be rebuked in the presence of all or else no one else will be afraid of sinning in the church. Look what Matthew, look what Jesus is gonna say just a few verses down in verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets. How are we gonna know that they're false prophets unless we practice discernment? Beloved, it is a very dangerous thing for a church not to practice discernment. That is a very dangerous thing. And many have, have encountered shipwreck in their faith because churches have not been discerning about what they were teaching and what they're allowing to be taught in the church. And so that, that's not what we're talking about here though. What is Jesus talking about? He says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. What kind of judging then is Jesus referring to? Some might be afraid that he's referring to the final judgment. Well, I don't wanna dismiss that. I don't wanna dismiss that. Because he says, look what he says in verse 20 and verse two, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. There is a holistic judgment here that people will look at someone and just say, I don't like them. I don't care for them. They're not my kind of people. And beloved, if you are someone who depends on your own self-righteousness, you are someone who does not practice biblical humility, you have not humbled yourself, you have not confessed your sin, you have not cried out to Jesus for mercy, then beloved, you are someone who needs to be concerned about the final judgment. And I don't want to dismiss that. But notice what he goes on to say in verse seven, in chapter two, uh, Chapter seven, verse two, he says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, but also with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. A little more detail. I dare say that probably no one in this church has probably ever just come out right out and said, you know, I just think I'm better than fill in the blank. I don't think any of us have really said that. Anybody wanna be brave and say, yeah, I've said that before? I didn't think so. So, so no one has, has just really come out and said that. So I don't need to worry, right? This verse is not for me. Well, wait a minute. Most of us won't say that, but we will say other things, won't we? We will say other things. I think John Stott really does a great job of describing the kind of judgment we're talking here. It says, it does not mean to assess people critically, but to judge them harshly. The censorious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive toward other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on all of their plans, and is ungenerous toward their mistakes, both past and present. That's the kind of judgment we're talking about, that hypercritical judgment that simply treats everyone else with this harsh kind of criticism and judgment because of some measure that you're applying to them. They're a fault finder. They're the constant critic. Sometimes they can be called the frozen chosen or the crispy dispies. 
for us dispensationalists out there. Us four and no more. The click, the, the mean girl mentality. The, the click mentality. These are my people. It's a perverse desire to point out and dwell on the flaws of others. For instance, if you're someone who sees yourself as sincere, you're gonna be very harsh toward people you perceive as fake. If you're someone who you have well-behaving children, you have a tendency to be very cruel and very uh, misunderstanding for those parents who may be struggling with their kids. If you're someone who's good with finances, then it may be tempting for you to look on someone who's struggling to make ends meet and, and criticize them. And the list can go on and on and on. But, but do you notice that a lot of this criticism comes from areas in life that we perceive that we are strong in and we use that as a measure to judge other people and criticize them. In other words, this is an area in my life that I am strong and I do not need redemption here. I handle money just fine. I don't need Christ here. My parents are well-behaved. My kids are well-behaved. <laughs> Hopefully your parents are too. But my, my, uh, my kids are well-behaved, so therefore I don't, I don't need redemption here. I'm doing a great job. But boy, so-and-so over there, he better be listening to this sermon. Man, so-and-so over there, they better be listening to that sermon. You know what I've seen? Jesus says that Whatever measure you give is the measure that'll be poured out to you. You know what I've seen over and over and over again is that the very areas in our life that we are self-righteous, those tend to be the very area that God humbles us. God humbles us. Oh, judgmental Christian. Oh, critical Christian. Heed Paul's warning. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, that those of you who think he stands, take heed lest he fall. Oh, beloved, don't let that be you. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. And so avoid judging others because it results in stricter judgment for you. But number two, avoid judging others because it reveals a lack of humility reveals a lack of humility. Look what he says in verses three and four. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But you don't even notice the log that is in your own eye. I imagine when Jesus first said this, it probably got a couple of chuckles because this is so, I mean, this picture is so ridiculous. It's so absurd that, that when we're talking about a speck, we are talking about something smaller than a, smaller than a splinter. I mean, I mean, basically, Jesus is a carpenter, and he probably has the idea of sawdust in mind, and you get a little piece of sawdust in your eye, right? I mean, something that is microscopic. Have you ever had your spouse or your friend come to you and just, and just do this to you and be like, get it out, because, you know, it feels like a truck is being driven through your head, but, but it's just this little bitty speck that unless you are looking very closely, you can't even see it. And Jesus is saying, why are you looking at the piece of sawdust in the other person's eye when you don't even notice the log? And by log, what we mean here 
is a huge support beam that was usually found in the center of a first century building that kept up the ceiling. And, and you're looking at the sawdust in someone else's eye when you can't even see the support beam that is in your own eye. You're looking very closely. You see the sawdust here, but you don't even notice the log. You don't even notice the beam in your own eye. Now notice in verse three, you only see it. This is, the, this is the internal critic. This is the critic at heart. But notice things in our heart don't typically stay in our heart. They tend to come out of our mouth. So look at verse four. Why do, how can you say to your brother? And he, and he basically says the same thing. In verse three, it stays in your eye. In verse four, it comes out of your mouth. And so this is the, this is the vocal critic. This is the vocal legalist, you might say. You say, now, Randy, I've never walked up to someone and said, hey, let me take the log out, let me take the speck out of your eye in this sense. I've never said that, but maybe it comes out in other ways. Maybe with a snarky attitude. Or maybe with, I don't know, shortness. Or, or maybe just avoiding the person altogether and saying, I'm not gonna have fellowship with that person. There was a story that came out of Oregon. I, I love stories about dumb criminals. They just really crack me up. And, and, and I really wanted to tell you one that I actually got to witness, but, uh, but it didn't really fit here, so I'll tell you another time. But uh, there was this one criminal in Oregon that, um, that a lady stopped at a convenience store and with her four-year-old child in the back seat, and she got out of the car uh, and she left the child in the car. So she left the car running and she ran into the convenience store really quick just to grab a gallon of milk. Well, a dude is walking by. He sees the car running. He jumps in the car and he drives off with her four-year-old son. Now, he gets down the road apparently and begins to realize that this four-year-old is in the back seat, right? So what does he do? He turns around, he comes back to the convenience store and lectures her for being a bad mother. <laughs> and then he commands her to take the kid and then he steals her car. In fact, according to the police, it's funny, let me read this exactly. According to the police, it said that uh, he even threatened to call the cops on her. <laughs> I'm like, really, a car thief is threatening to call a, a police on a bad mother. <laughs> I, just, I just love stories like that. And I think most of us could probably see the humor in that because it's, it's just so ridiculous, right? And yet Jesus is pointing to that same kind of tendency that we all have, this tendency that we have to be keenly aware of the faults and the flaws of others, and yet to have a profound ignorance about our own faults and about our own challenges in our life. So often we don't even see them. There's a there's a blindness here to be keenly aware of the flaws of others and yet to have a profound ignorance of our own. In fact, I want you to see this. Look in Matthew chapter 23. Another place where Jesus refers to the Pharisees as hypocrites. Matthew 23. In verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, but without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. I wonder how many times we are straining at the gnats of others while we're swallowing the camels of our own pride, swallowing the camels of our own sin. That's just what we tend to do. There's a tendency to maximize the sins of others while we, while we minimize our own, to maximize the, the flaws of others while we minimize those things we have. It leads us to focus on relatively minor infractions of others while being profoundly ignorant of those that we have. Beloved, humble ourselves. Humble yourselves. Heed the warning of James. You know, James quotes that Old Testament passage where it says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Beloved, do you realize that there is one sin in the New Testament that God tells his children that if you have this, I am actively opposing you. And it's our pride. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Oh, Beloved, oh, Christian, humble yourself. Humble ourselves. And how do we do that? How do we do that in our own lives? How do we do that as the church? That's where we come to this correction in, in Matthew, beginning in verse five. We saw the judging in this way. It results in stricter judgment. It reveals a lack of humility. So, so what do we need to do here? Instead of judging others, we need to rely on biblical wisdom. We need to rely on biblical wisdom. Look at verse five. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I want you to notice this verse right here. And if you mark in your Bible, you might wanna underline this because I want you to see here, Jesus's point is not to tell us that it is never correct to confront someone with their sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, Jesus is not saying that it is never, that it is never okay to have the hard conversations with someone in the church who may be caught in sin, sin patterns. That's not what he's saying here. He's assuming that we're going to do it, but there is biblical wisdom that must be applied. There are, there are steps to take, and, and we see more details of this in, in chapters such as Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're, we're not going to go there this morning, but what we do find here is the summary of those passages. And so I want you to notice, first of all, he says that the point, he, he says here in verse 5 that first we are to take the support beam out of our own eye. And you know what I find fascinating about that is, is this, this um, contrast between a speck of sawdust and a huge support beam. Why is it that Jesus refers to the infractions of others as a speck of dust, and yet he refers to our infractions as, as, as this huge beam? And, I, and I've heard different people say different things. I've you know, if you've ever had a speck in your eye or, boy, getting a piece of dust caught in your contact, boy, that's just fun, isn't it? 
And so it feels like a log in your eye, right? So I've heard people say that. I've heard people say that, you know, from perspective, the speck in the other brother's eye is, is just as big as the log that is in your eye and, and your speck and your log is like a speck to them. I, I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. I don't, I don't think his original audience would have understood that. I think what he's saying here is simply this, that in our self-evaluation, we must always see ourselves as the bigger sinner. See yourself as the bigger sinner. Just like Paul said, several times Paul says, look, I am the chief of sinners. Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles because look what I've done. Look what my past was before I was saved. I'm the least of the apostles, not even worthy to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the way, that applies to every one of you. And by the way, that also applies to everyone else, including you. And so the point is this. We should always see ourselves as the bigger sinner. Beloved, listen. I want you to know that I honestly believe this, that I am the biggest sinner in this room. I am. Yeah, I've seen what some of you have done. Yes, I've heard some of you have come to me and and expressed different sins you're struggling with. And listen, I see those things, I get it. But you know what? I see a part of me you don't see. I see what's going on in my own heart. And no, I may not struggle with the exact sin that you're struggling with, but I guarantee you, I know the struggle with sin all too well. And I am the biggest. I I am not worthy to be up here in front of you. Okay, listen, I, I do not, I am the last person in the world who should be up here. I am the biggest sinner in this room. And I want you to understand that I say that not as a, not as a way to kind of deny humility or toot my own horn or something, that, not as a humble brag. I, I want you to understand that especially when we are coming to confront someone with a challenge in their life, it is imperative that we see ourselves as the bigger sinner. Because if we are approaching someone with a holier-than-thou attitude, well, that's not going to go over very well, right? But if we're approaching someone with humility, we're approaching someone in love, we're approaching someone in genuine concern, that's what speaks volumes to one another. And so self-evaluation, and then secondly, I've already said this, approach humbly. Listen, we're not holier than thou. You know what I am up here? I am just one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. That's all I am. Anytime we approach our brother and sister in Christ, we are with scripture, we are just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's all we are. I'm a beggar, beloved. And so are you. And so approach humbly. And then finally in verse six, a strange verse, approach with discernment, approach with discernment. In verse six, this is kind of weird. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they 
trampled them underfoot and turned to attack you. This, by the way, this is another verse that is often misused. Uh, one of the reasons why Calvinism gets such a bad rap is because uh, some of them in history have used this verse to deny things like evangelism and oppose, uh, oppose missions and stuff like that. Um, when William Carey, who was the who is the father of modern missions, announced so greatly, I am going to India. One of those uh, hardline hyper-Calvinists stood up and said, do not cast our pearls among the swine. So I love his pastoral attitude there. But beloved, that, notice this passage has nothing to do with evangelism. Not in that sense. It has nothing to do with missions. Jesus is talking about how we approach others in sanctification, how we are promoting holiness in others. And yet it seems to go against everything Jesus just said. He says that don't judge others. And then he says, oh, and by the way, don't cast your, uh, you know, don't cast your holy things among dogs and don't uh, cast your pearls among swine. I don't know about you, but that sounds a little judgmental to me, doesn't it? It almost seems to go against what he said, but I, I think there's a principle here that on the one hand, we need to avoid being too harsh. And that I think is the most often temptation, especially it seems to be in more traditional churches, that seems to be the bigger temptation that we have is not to be too harsh. But beloved, at the same time, we cannot be, risk being too lax either. We cannot risk not promoting holiness enough. We cannot risk not holiness. Don't be too harsh, but don't be too lax. We must pursue holiness. We must help one another pursue holiness. I heard something that really kind of broke my heart this week. I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a, a pastor of another church, and uh, his, his assistant is uh, a member of another denomination, and, and, uh, and she types up his sermon notes for him and does stuff like that. And, uh, and she told him the other day, she said, you know, I got to tell you, I really, I really like you. And he said, oh, well, that's good. But she said, you know why? Because you're the only Baptist pastor I've ever heard that actually preaches holiness, I hope to the Lord that's not true. But beloved, we must pursue holiness. May it never be. We must be serious about holiness in the church. Now, that doesn't mean that we go looking for problems. I'm not, I'm not watching Brother Art and just waiting for him to make a mistake so I can say, hey, 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 hey. I'm not doing that. But I don't want to be lax about holiness either. The author of Hebrews, once again, verse 12, 14, notice the good balance he gives here. He says, strive for peace with everyone. I guarantee you that if you are someone who loves to point out the flaws of other people, I guarantee you, you are not promoting peace. <laughs> You're not doing it, all right? And so strive for peace with everyone, but also for the holiness, and watch this, without which no one will see the Lord. Do you realize that if your salvation is not in a process of making you holy, then it is a false salvation? Now, I'm not saying, am I talking perfection? Absolutely not. Am I talking that there's not setbacks? No. You, you know and I know sometimes holiness 
is three steps forward, two steps back. In fact, sometimes it's two steps forward, three steps back. We, I get that. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that our salvation, genuine salvation, produces fruit. It produces holiness. And that's what, that's what Jesus means about dogs and pigs, people who are unclean, people who are outside of the covenant. That's, that's the way these words were used, just like we saw a couple weeks ago with the uh, Syrophoenician woman. Same thing. They're not responding to Scripture's correction. Listen, we can't, sh- we can't judge hearts, but their fruits are showing us something. Their fruits tell the story. Jesus says, by their fruits, you will know them. He's, he's gonna say that a little further down. And if you have someone that you, are, that you are trying to help in counseling, if I have someone that I'm trying to help and, and yet they're not responding to the word, the, the correction of the word that we see in Matthew 18, the weight of God's word that we are bringing down on them to beg them and plead with them, come back to a place of holiness and yet they are not responding to the witness of the word. And at that point, it's not about sanctification anymore. At that point, it's about evangelism. At that point, it's about calling them to repent. At that point, it's about calling them to Christ. And we must have biblical wisdom. Listen, I don't know when that is. I don't know. It's gonna be different. And I'm not talking about a one, two, three-step process. I'm talking about a process of months. At least it should be. Patience. All of those things. But... If someone's not responding to the word, God chastens those whom he loves. We, we have to wonder why. And so we have to use biblical wisdom. So beloved, we saw this morning that when we judge others, it results in stricter judgment. It reveals a lack of humility. And so we need to rely on biblical wisdom. We cannot judge others. We need to cultivate humility in our lives. And it all depends on our posture to God. Our posture to God will determine what our posture is toward other people. And we need to cultivate a spirit of humility in our lives. So how can we do that? Just real quick. Let me give you just a few suggestions. Number one, a spirit of humility is going to be aware that God alone is the judge. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse three, verses 3 and 4, you can read that later. Paul says, it means very little to me that I be judged by you. I don't even judge myself, and even if I do, I know that God is my judge. And so, the spirit of humility is very aware that God is the judge, and that to each, each one will stand before their Lord. Number two, a spirit of humility seeks friendship. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens another. Seek out a trusted friend in our church. Maybe they're in your small group. Really, that's what small groups are for. I hope you're part of a small group, Sunday school or evening small groups, whatever the case may be. I hope you're part of one. And I hope that you're practicing biblical friendship and that you have one, at least one trusted friend that you, you depend on to speak truth into your life. 
Number three, a spirit of humility receives criticism graciously. Proverbs 9, 8, rebuke a scoffer and he will hate you, but rebuke a wise man and he will love you for it. Receive criticism greatly, graciously. Ask, let me, one thing you might do this week as you search your hearts and consider this message, you might ask, what is an area of my life that I am unwilling to receive criticism in? Is it your relationship to your children? Is it your finances? Is it your church attendance? I mean, what is it? Is there anywhere in your life that you're unwilling to receive correction? That's probably an area of pride for you. Probably an area of pride. And also, is there, is there any area that you are criticizing someone else? Why is it that you're so critical of that person? What is it that you think that they do that you don't do? Chances are, that's an area of pride. And that really gets into number four, is to know that you need Christ redemption in every area of your life, not just your weaknesses, but also your strengths. Christ must redeem all of you. He must redeem all of me. I need it all. I need all of Christ because he must redeem all of me. Beloved, we must cultivate humility, must cultivate humility in our lives. And if you're here this morning and you are that judgmental person, you're that constant critic, you you use discernment as a means to joyfully and gleefully point out the constant flaws of others. Maybe the reason you're doing that, maybe the reason you haven't humbled yourself is because you haven't come to a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And I would ask you this morning, have I been fully redeemed? Have I truly, have I truly humbled myself before God? And have I given everything to him? Have I surrendered it all to him? Jesus died on the cross for your sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He gave his life on the cross, not just to redeem part of you that needed help, but to redeem all of you because every aspect of our life is depraved without him. So beloved, will you come to Christ in full dependence? Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're not talking about a prayer there. You know what we're talking about? Just like you have to call on all your experience to fix this problem or that problem. You're not praying to your experience. What are you doing? You're depending on it. And beloved, those who fully depend on Christ alone, by faith alone, grace alone, those are the ones who will know Christ in salvation. Is that you this morning? I pray that it's all of us, but if it's not, I wanna invite you to the front. As we we have our eyes closed and our heads bowed in a moment, I would invite all of you to the front. If you are here this morning, and you need Christ, or you need to cultivate humility in your life, maybe you need to pray and ask God for humility. Whatever it is, I invite you to come. Father, we thank you for these these truths that we are all guilty of. I I don't even wanna say out loud how many times you've humbled me in areas that I thought were strong. And I know we've all experienced that. 
Father, if there's one here this morning who you're especially working on their heart, I pray that they would call out to you, that they would confess their sin. Maybe there's someone they need to go to this week and say, I've been too harsh with you. Will you forgive me? Maybe there's someone here this week who they just need to open up themselves. They've been isolated, seeking their own purposes, just assuming that everybody's gonna sin against them, judging them in that way. Lord, whatever their need, I pray that they would bring it to you this morning. They would surrender it, they would repent, and they would replace it with an active holiness and godliness in their lives. I wanna ask you to stand, just have your, keep your heads bowed and just reflect on what we've talked about this morning. And if there's one who's here this morning and you need to respond to the message and you just don't quite know how to respond, maybe you're here and you need to know that you have Christ as your savior. Maybe you're here and you say, you know, I've been so judgmental and I just, I just don't know what do I need to do specifically to change it. Whatever you need help with, I'm here this morning. There's others here as well. We would ask you to come as our musicians play.